0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast. I'm excited. Welcome to welcome the host of the Love is Podcast. Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Neil. I'm so excited about our guest today.
0: I am too. We had him on before. Ed is such a motivational guy. Go ahead, Kim.
1: Yeah, Ed Smith, who had a baseball career and then switched to football. I don't know anyone who's ever done that before. And so that's going to be interesting to talk about. But um, is a podcast host and a radio host, a personality uh, um, bigger than life, most wonderful guy, and we are just thrilled to have you, Ed. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, Kim and Neil, and I've been looking forward to getting down with you guys, and, uh, I, you know, it's my pleasure to to jump on with you.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, and I know Believe is part of your gig. I mean, you just have so much going, so I would like to know, though, what? how does a guy go from baseball? So, in high school, did you play everything?
2: Yeah, I was a three-sports star, uh, and this is dating myself, but I was the 1987 Tri-State Athlete of the Year, and I was New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, I think it was. And, uh, you know, all-state uh, baseball player, uh, honorable mention, All-American, tight end, and I also was a All-South Jersey uh, uh, forward as far as basketball. Baseball was my first love. Uh, That was the way I wanted to go. Everyone wanted me to play football as well. When it all came down to it, I'd signed my letter of intent to go to the University of North Carolina, go to our heels. And I was going to play on a full baseball scholarship and do football on the side. That was my demand. I didn't want to go on a football scholarship because they have a ten to then lead you that direction and take baseball away away from you. So I was going to play baseball, football on the side and was all signed, sealed, and delivered. And then out of nowhere, the White Sox drafted me in the seventh round of the 87 amateur draft, a little haggling back and forth with them. I had college put into my contract via my mom. She didn't want me to uh, give up that education. So I took less money, put education into the contract, and was you know, convinced by the White Sox that that was the route I should go. And that's how I, I kind of bypassed uh, 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 you know, college and jumped right into the professional ranks two days after graduating high school in 1987 out of uh, Permanent Township High School. So that was the the beginning of my professional journey all those years ago. You know, it's very interesting,
0: Ed. We talked about this on the the the, the show before that. Uh, you know, the, the the journey of going and doing something when you really are kind of just understand trying to understand who you are as a person. Because I can, I want to kind of go more of a deeper question. You know, making choices in life, the choices we make, and then we look back at those choices. When you jumped and said, I'm going to jump right from high school to the pros, were you, did you have any second thoughts?
2: I wouldn't say second thoughts. I, I was just questioning, you know, was my passion was to play professional baseball. You know, I didn't know how soon I was going to do it. Obviously, I was, the original thought was go to college you do that for three plus years depending on what what happens as far as then you you know get drafted and when the white Sox drafted me it's as high as they did and then pursued me as as, as vigorously as they did you know their thought was hi why wait three years to to get to where you want to go anyway you know this is what it's all about and you know and, and you know trying to make those decisions I was barely 18 when they drafted me I was uh turned 18 uh, June 5th of that year. in the draft was that same week. So you're talking about trying to make decisions for your life at such an early age. And it was, you know, I had some sleepless nights, but one of the things with my mom and dad, they didn't want to interfere in the decision, but they also, but they did want to guide me. So their thing was, look, it's your decision. Here are the pros, here are the cons. And, you know, so it was all up to me and I had some sleepless nights being a teenager Hadn't yet even graduated from high school. I still had a couple weeks to go. And, you know, I, I remember even to this day, Neil, I got to a point because it was like, well, you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision. Uh, at least as far as the White Sox was concerned. I remember one night just like going to move the movies by myself. I, I just needed some time to think. I went to this movie. Can't remember what the movie was, but I just needed some like peace and quiet to feel, you know, to kind of see where my heart and my mind were. And, you know, took some thought and, you know, prayed on it. I thought about it. And something led me in that direction. I couldn't tell you uh, the exact moment that I realized it, but it was something that was in my heart. I'd always knew I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And the time felt right. And I did that. And a lot of people, after the way they saw how my career went, you know, obviously I ended up playing football as it was in the end. It was like, well, do you regret not said, no, there's no regrets. You know, I rode the, the path that was meant for me. I had some amazing experiences in minor league baseball and as a football player. So, you know, in the in the beginning, no, it was like I said, there was it was a lot of tension within, but I, I think I made the right decision for myself.
1: Yeah, well, here you are today and I've had this incredible life, incredible story journeys along the way. So apparently it was the right decision. But I I, I have kids and I'm thinking about when my boys turned 18 years old and if I two days later had to say, see, ya," you know, you're whatever, <laughs> you're going to the big leagues and you <laughs> never probably lived away from home before, nope. never had to deal with, you know, maybe even your own meals before. And probably, I don't know if you had to do your own laundry. So what was that like for you, that transition?
2: That was a shock to the system, Kim. And interestingly enough, after we're done here, I'm going to go down and see my mom. I got to take care of a couple of things for her at the house. And I remember that day and it, you got to flash backwards. It was a time before 9-11 where you could walk someone all the way to the gate to the plane, you know? And I remember we were I, two days after I walked down the, to get my, you know, high school diploma. Two days later, my mom and dad are rushing me to the Philadelphia airport you know, I had no idea what was in front of me. My brother, two years younger than me, was in the car. We're racing to get to the airport on time. We get my bags checked. We get to the gate. And that's when it hit us all. You know, we're a loving family, always been tight. And I, at, at one point, it was, the, the lady was telling me, you know, you got to get on the plane. You got to get on the plane. I looked at my mom and she started bawling. As she, started, she just turned and ran into the bathroom crying, crying, crying. And I remember my dad and my brother were all hugging and, you know, one of uh, the flight attendants, sir, you got to get on the plane. So I get on the plane, you know, and I'm crying. I'm not knowing what's ahead of me. And I remember, <laughs> this is crazy. I had just signed my contract and it was good money way back in uh, 1987. I remember getting on the plane and I'm sitting there I'm wiping tears. I'm, you know, I got about two and a half hour fl- that flight down to Florida and, like I said, don't know what to expect. And one of the flight attendants comes on the plane. She says, excuse me, sir, this is for you. My dad gave me a $20 bill oh. just just in <laughs> case I needed anything, you know. And I, I remember just sitting there. And that was love. That's like, you know. And I just remember getting on the flight, you know. I'd get down to Florida. And as you mentioned, Kim, I had no idea. My mom, you know, she cooked for us. She cleaned. At some point when we were, my brother and I were, Early teenagers, she got tired of doing laundry all the time. She took us both downstairs and said, this is how you do laundry? At this point, both of you are responsible for your own laundry. And I'm tired of this, you know. So I didn't know how to do laundry, didn't know how to cook, didn't know how to pay bills, none of this stuff. And off I was. And I remember landing down in Florida and went from being a high school student to a professional athlete in a matter of two days. Um, the whole thing was a debacle in the beginning. You know my version of uh, like cooking was taking a jar of ragu, pouring it over some pasta, and that was it. There was no like seasoning, no nut. You know, I'm and I'm a, a very good cook now. I consider myself a great cook, but the early stages, I had no idea what it was all about. Steak was putting in there, high temperature, cooking as fast as possible, cooking as dark as possible, and eat it. And it was a wonder. I was like, well, how come this doesn't taste like bombs? You know, and what I learned over the years but those early stages, it was just like you would imagine. It was like a, a, a bird being tossed out of the nest, being told, OK, now you're on your own. Go fly. Go find your own food. Go pay your own bills. Everything. It was comical. But the thing was, I had other guys who were in the same boat as myself. Some a little seasoned because they'd gone to college. But some of my best friends today, here we are 30 plus years later, later, are those guys that I did that first part of my journey with and we have some of the greatest stories and we laugh sometime about how green we were but oh my god it was it was so funny in the beginning
0: you talk about the road one thing i remember in our story before because i'm like trying to definitely pinpoint our listeners that you know always uh, listen to this and i you definitely will be telling kim on her tv show a little bit more deeper because we're gonna we only have a short time with you but when i think about specifically enough um that time on the road and time that probably it was more staying spending time with on the road with your teammates more than enjoying the politics of the game. That's what, that, that's what caught made you walk away the politics. So reminisce more about how, you know, how you wouldn't even have survived in this industry if it wasn't for you building these relationships and how important relationship building is.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, we, I think back to those days, if I'd have been on my own trying to figure certain things out and I had, we had guys who had a little more experience than us. You know, obviously I went down to rookie ball my first summer. And then the following year I was on this team in South Bend, Indiana. And we had, you know, all of a sudden I went from playing 30 games in high school to the next year. I had 142 game schedule. you know, I had to manage that, you know, I had two roommates, Ray and Nandi. And like I said, these are guys that I'm in touch with to this day. We, we, you know, even something as simple as going to the grocery store. And we all had our different likes. So I liked the char- star- strawberry ice cream. Ray liked just vanilla. Nandi liked chocolate. So we'd get three different ice creams, three different types of sodas, drinks. Uh, we all had different foods we liked. So we would go shopping together and imagine this cart with three 18 to 22-year-old, you know, because Ray was a little older than us. Our shopping, we'd have three shopping carts sometime all filled with stuff. We'd go home, put it in the refrigerator, and then, you know, we'd have a week at home, two weeks on the road. We'd come back, you know, we had to figure out laundry. We had to figure out, uh, you know, paying bills together. It was so comical, you know, and with with no assistance. You know, when you're in college, you get residents, you know, in the dorm to help you do this. We had apartments, we had electric bills, we had cable bills. We had, you know, like I said, food. And there was no way that I would have survived this on my own. Later in my career, because I, you know, after spending nine years in the minor leagues, I had gotten to a point after five or six years where it was, okay, I'm a grown man now. It's time for me to do this on my own. I remember the first apartment I got my, you know, when we broke camp and we get to the city, I think it was Orlando, Florida, Florida in 94. That was the first year I said, okay, no more roommates. I'm making enough money where I'm going to do this on my own. And that was kind of my first experience. But, you know, you take those baby steps, but there's no way that without those early relationships and, you know, early fumblings that I could have done that on my own. And it was, like I said, it was, those are the relationships that I remember the most because they were so valuable. And uh, those guys, we, we, we laugh and cry all the time how we really, helped each other out now we it was we were family and that's why I, I love some of those guys so much to this day because we what we all went through together in those lower levels
1: yeah wow relationships really are the, the thing right the most important thing in life are, are the people in your life and so it's really cool to hear that you did mention that five or six years later you finally went out on your own so I don't know if you're a slow learner or you just loved those guys so much you didn't want to leave them <laughs> or what but yeah that had to be quite quite the ride
2: most but of the time was- it, most of the time it was for economic purposes no I may playing in my legs we had to make a whole bunch of money you know and it was always advantageous especially when you think about it we'd go to a city We'd get a whole uh, an apartment together, and half the year we were on the road. 142 game schedule, 71 of those days were on the road. So it made more sense in those early years, you know, to 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 kind of parse it out where you know we everybody took on some responsibility, cut a uh, rent in in thirds or whatever. I know some of some players they did it all through their career. They'd have what well, like four you know four five six guys. In and apart i never got that deep and <laughs> like i said and i got to a point where it was finally time to do it on my own and i love that much better but yeah those early years it was all about uh you know kind of Economics. spreading spreading yeah. it out yeah yeah definitely
1: right, so, makes sense.
0: so we definitely going to promote the believe podcast but kim has a question she asked every one of our guests on this podcast go ahead with that question kim
1: yeah so ed um yeah everybody's got a story right so uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away six weeks after that. So and it made me question some things. And one of the things that made me question was love. Like, what is what is love really? You know, what what's the true meaning? And so I dedicated a year to do this eat, pray, love sort of experience, mostly in mm-hmm. Haiti, where I um, took First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind. And I took one word or phrase a month to figure out what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And it blew my mind. And I think that anytime time you're in different situations, love can come to you in different ways. You know, you talk about your mama crying, that would have been me. I've been bawling my eyes out. And then talk about the relationship with these guys. What what does love mean to you?
2: Wow, that is, that's a deep question. That's a great question too, Kim. And first off, sorry for, you know, obviously you have your journey and, you know, lost your husband and, you know, dealing with breast cancer yourself. So sorry for some of the things that you've experienced. And I know they've made you probably stronger in your faith and in your life. So uh, for me, love, golly, I have two sons now. My first son was, born in 1989 and it was one of those situations where initially i thought hey, he and his mother, mother and i you know we were in love and you know we we're both 19 years old we we're gonna make this work and it just didn't work out and she ended up marrying another gentleman leaving taking my son and i was without my son for so many years and you know fast forward uh, i had my other son just 13 he's 13 now but just recently uh, my oldest son is 33 now. We kind of had a recommitment to each other after us, you know, the two of us not being in each other's lives for a long time and just because of circumstance. And for me, love is, oh my God, it's so deep. The, the fact that, you know, I have my 13 year old son who I get to see every day now raised him from birth. My oldest son, we lost so many years, but for me, love is that bond. And you know, I had that with my father and my mother. I just lost my father four and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and my mom, you know, she's still here and she's the anchor of the family. And and there was there's so many you know things that I've experienced in my life um, through my family together. Uh, but just recently, you know, I've, I've I've been so thankful to God for bringing my oldest son back into my life, and I recently told him that his grandfather. Uh, his pop-up would be so proud of what he and I are are doing now because he always wanted that for us and I'll, I'll tell you real quick my dad he was he'll tell you he would have told you he was not a perfect man but he had love for all of us and he called it unconditional love and regardless of what my dad was going through he was an alcoholic he you know his drugs at points in his life but he always was there for the family. And we are always there for him. And we all call it that unconditional love. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, we're there for you. And like I said, the fact that my oldest son and I are back together now, and I have my youngest son, and that those bonds, and I'm there to be there for them, like my dad was there for us. I mean, to me, that's what, what love is about us, that, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, you know, that, that um, like I said, that bond.
0: And, Fantastic. Uh, have- and now the, your podcast is on the Believe Podcast network. What is it called again? Believe in the Cardinals. And you have a nationally syndicated radio show too. What is that? Yes, called?
2: it's called the Easy Sports Talk Show. And that one has been we've done it. We did it six and a half years here locally in Arizona before getting the tap on the shoulder to take it national. So we're now in thirty-five states, ninety-eight uh, affiliates across the country, all the way out to Hawaii, every Florida up the coast. Uh, so you know, believe in the Cardinals podcast. We do that twice a week during the season. And uh, my partner and I, so we uh, we both do the radio show and the podcast and other things together.
0: All right, fantastic. We appreciate it, Ed. Thanks again for stopping by.
2: Thank you guys for having me.
0: You're welcome. All right, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast, guys. Take care.
3: Well, marketing has always been in my DNA. So it, it's kind of how I'm wired and how I see the world. Um, but marketing is nothing more than finding a need and fulfilling it for a profit. That is literally my definition of marketing. Um, But now the movement has been personal marketing. So even if you work for a large company, you still have to carve out your own identity. You have to stand for something and that's where personal branding comes in. And so I think every every, uh, one of your listeners, um, regardless of their working circumstance, even if they're retired is not a brand by the way, it's just a circumstance, you have to decide how you want to be known.
4: Hi, and welcome to Women's CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Kathy, Kathy McAfee. She's known as America's marketing motivator. As an executive coach, mentor, author, and creator of the Fearless Leader Program, Kathy helps businesses and communities grow and prosper by advancing more women and people of color into leadership and positions of influence. She is a global difference maker at heart, and her goal is to change the world for the better one person at a time. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you, Marissa. Great to be here. Nice to see you. (laughs) Thank you. I love having motivators on the show. This is great. So tell me how you became the marketing motivator and an executive coach.
3: Yeah, the marketing motivator. It was a it was one of my <clears throat> best client stories because I think we can learn so much about our personal brand from what other people say about us. And so, literally, I had just hung my shingle for starting my own business in quote consulting, marketing consulting. My first client hired me, and then over a lunch, I asked her, you know, what value did you get from our experience together? What value did I create for you? And she called me her butt kicking consultant, that I made her do things that she's been thinking about doing for years, but not doing, hence her business wasn't growing. And so butt kicking consultant was the origin. And I slept on that knowing that my mother would hate it. If I put that on a business card, it just sounded so profane, butt kicking. I love to say that phrase, butt kicking, butt kicking. But anyway, I woke up the next morning and out popped a marketing motivator and it stuck. And then I gave myself a promotion to America's marketing motivator, having discovered there was a Canadian marketing motivator before me, but I believe there is, there's a, enough room for many marketing motivators, so I invite you all to come on in, the water is fine.
4: I love it. I love it. So marketing is something that I really despise. And and I just don't know anything about it. I've tried to market, you know, Neil helps me quite a bit. um, And I've hired marketing coaches. But what is it that that you think is really, really important when it comes to marketing, whether it's yourself or a small business?
3: Well, marketing has always been in my DNA. So it's kind of how I'm wired and how I see the world. Um, but marketing is nothing more than finding a need and fulfilling it for a profit. That's, that is literally my definition of marketing. Um, but now the movement has been personal marketing. So even if you work for a large company, you still have to carve out your own identity. You have to stand for something and that's where personal branding comes in. And so I think every, every uh, one of your listeners, um, regardless of their working circumstance, even if they're retired is not a brand, by the way, it's just a circumstance, you have to decide how you want to be known. And so you have to end up doing your own marketing. And some of the yicky feelings you're talking about, you know, no one, socially and societally, we're not supposed to, you know, talk about ourselves, brag about ourselves, promote ourselves, especially if you're women, that's not not ladylike, right? That's the the old uh, programming. But if we don't do it, who will. And so podcasting, what you guys are doing and having wonderful interviews, this is a really cool way, content creation of marketing yourself and building community and sharing your thought leadership. So it doesn't have to be a yucky feeling. It is for the better good, but ultimately you and I and Neil, we, and all your listeners have to take charge of your own personal marketing.
4: Yeah. It's um, it's interesting what you said about
3: of podcasting
4: because i've met the most incredible women on this show women that i never would have met otherwise you know and it really does expand your network and your possibilities and i've done collaborations
2: mm-hmm. and
4: uh I, I guess i never really thought of it as a marketing tool when i first started right i i understand that's what it is now um But uh, so, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you focus on women and people of color, Mm -hmm. Um, what made you choose that uh, besides the fact that, you know, like myself, I love championing other women and Mm -hmm. helping them rise. Uh, What made you specifically focus on that?
3: I think I kind of came into a finer honed mission uh, when George Floyd was murdered and the world was going to hell in the handbasket from my perspective uh, but there was still good in the world right and i realized that people of color um black women in particular really get the short end of the stick they're paid the least they have the highest wage gap um and they get a double jeopardy there they both face sexism and they say face racism and so um I started to get the courage to really just claim who I wanted to work with. I've always attracted a lot of women in my business, although I have absolutely loved training men, coaching men. Um, I absolutely do believe we need men to advance women. Women need men to open doors. Um, But I just decided that this is where I wanted to put my energy. And if I could start to help diversify the leadership pipelines, the pool of future leaders, Cause right now there's not many women in there. We don't see women, a lot of women running big organizations. We see a lot of women managers and that's a great breakthrough. Um, but there can be, women bring so much to leadership and to business um, that we need to advocate for them. We need to mentor them. And that's what I love also about your platform, Marissa, is women, mentoring women and women being mentors. I'm all about that as well. Well,
4: I spent 30 years in corporate IT. I'm still in it, and always have mentored. I have <clears throat> I have mentored both men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, being a woman in IT, it's there's it's very few and far between to find mentors um, for myself. What what industries um, do you focus on specifically, where you think that the demographic for women is much much lower
3: compared to other industries? you know interestingly i'm open to any industry so my fearless leader program brings together a diverse group of people in a cohort learning experience and it literally the last three years i've been i started it i'm on my 11th cohort now Uh, i have almost every age from 17 to 68 every level of experience and every industry from aerospace and uh, defense to um to medical uh, science um, to uh, finance. I have a lot of accounting people that take the program uh, to manufacturing. And as a marketer, it's one thing I've always loved. I love variety. I love learning new things. Um, so understanding how businesses and industries works that really, uh, really floats my boat. So I, I think it's great to bring different people together. So we're not so tunnel visioned. I think if, right. you, if you have a challenge or a roadblock, it's because you've, you've only, you're you've only thinking one way. So suddenly you meet someone over here who's having the same issue, but in a different industry and they can kind of cha- open that up for you. In fact, I'll tell you one of the things I'm really excited about this upcoming cohort is I'm awarding a scholarship, a native scholarship to a female native leader. And we're about ready to select that finalist and, and announce that at the end of August. Uh, I've had one other native leader in my uh, Fearless Leader program and the enrichment uh, and learning about communities and cultures that I don't regularly get to experience. Um, So I think anybody from any industry can can learn something um, and can bring something to the table in terms of that shared knowledge, shared experience, shared humanity, really.
4: Yeah, that's great. You know, in my industry, doing IT consulting, I've worked with a lot of different industries and you and doing this podcast, it's the same thing. You meet so many different women and people and businesses and industries. And I just love learning. And I think that's really, you know, I think being a leader. Uh, learn, you have to constantly be learning about new things and new people and new cultures. And that's mm-hmm. what keeps you, you know, on top of your game and, and getting more well-rounded in your leadership skills, uh, mm-hmm. in your leadership uh, approach as well. Mm-hmm. So
3: one thing I think I, I want to bring up tonight is one, what, what I've discovered both from, uh, from studies and research is, and my experience is that men are better at seeking mentors and sponsors it's just kind of the male leadership model it's happened for eons but women are not used to it and so we kind of avoid it i think there's for women there's a i have to prove myself and i can do it myself because i don't want to show you my weaknesses and so i see a lot of women not having mentors including myself including myself.
5: Wow. You don't have a mentor.
3: Yeah, I have mentors. I just didn't, I thought of them as networking contacts or old bosses, um, partners, people I admired, but i never actually attached the term mentor or sponsor. And, and so rediscovering that and then realizing how I can tap into that for me, I don't have all the answers. I need help too. Um, and one of my, my actually my co-author of my new book, Fearless Female Leaders, that's coming out early 2024, she's recommending that women seek and secure six, one, two, three, four, five, six mentors. Never just rely on one. You need like a, almost like a little advisory board. And these are relationships you need to tap in regularly, not once and then ditch them. And now I'm in the other end of mentoring where I'm being the mentor and mentoring others. And I'm, I'm really surprised how I don't hear from them, how I have to chase them down. How are you doing? And I think being more proactive uh, from the mentee in managing the relationship and staying in touch with a mentor, A, makes the mentor feel much better. Yes. (laughs) And B, you're tapping into this resource that's going to help you. So mentor and be mentored on a regular basis. Great advice. You
4: know, mentoring is for life. The mentoring relationship, regardless of what role you're in, I always say that's for life. Uh, My, the people I've mentored still reach out to me, you know, years later. And I think it's really important to, you know, there's so many people willing to help you and the mentor, you know, mentorship can be men or women. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be even someone that, you know, is aligned with what you do for a living. It could just be someone that you can, you know, bounce ideas
3: off of. Exactly. It doesn't have to be in your industry. They can be retired Probably best not to have your direct manager as your mentor, at least not while you're in that relation, you know, reporting relationship. Um, But I've got a a boss that I had uh, back when I was working in the contact lens industry. She made such an influence on me and and opened up opportunities for me, including sending me to Europe for three years. So thank you, Yolanda Caney. And now, you know, we drift apart and then I just reconnected with her. She's running her own podcast She runs a program called Girl Take the Lead. She might make a great guest for you, and um, and she's just so important in my life. So now I have more reason and motivation to tap her brain. (laughs) She's brilliant and wise. She's wise. She has intuition, and that that is a resource that I have access to. So that's great. it It is for a lifetime. You you nailed it with that one. I love it. Well, well, uh, we are running
4: out of time, but I want to talk about one topic because you are celebrating something major today. You and I talked about a little bit before the show. So um, why don't you talk about what you're celebrating today? Yeah,
3: today is the 12th anniversary of my cancer survivorship. And uh, it also happens to be my mother's birthday. So it's easy to remember August 23rd in 2011. I was bald and frail and sitting in the, the chemotherapy chair for my final infusion. Now I was wearing an evening gown. I had, I think at that time I had a wig and one of those little, whatever they call those little fluffy uh, thingy bobbers. And I had six people with me and we were having a party. We were celebrating, which is how I navigated my, uh, my cancer journey by having what we call themotherapy parties. Um, And it I did take a picture, which I just posted online of my fifth month when I was completely bald. And I recommend anyone who's going through cancer, any particularly any woman or man, lose your hair, lose your eyelashes. Uh, it is a moment to capture. It's not ugly, it's not shameful. It actually is profoundly beautiful and strong. So I hired a, a photographer to, to photograph me in black and white. Um, in that condition. And I'm so glad I did because now I can always remember that experience and my strength. Um, And interesting, um, I chose to take seven months off. Thank God I was in the financial position to do so because I knew that my main job was health and wellness. Even though it was really hard to let go of all the speaking engagements I had booked and all the trainings and I I had to replace myself which actually is a good lesson too. We are all replaceable. We're all going to die. It's okay, right? So let's, uh, let's have a team of people who can back us up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was able to do what I needed to do um, and really focus on myself and my health and, and let the community support me. That was another key thing I did was um, to be in the receiving position and to allow people to help me Because it feels good to help someone remember that people
4: always
3: (laughs) always so yeah so I try to remember that the last thing I remembered I promised myself I would remember I'm pretty good at it is just medical vigilance um I just had a bone density scan on Monday uh absolute yes every year on a 3d mammogram I go in twice a year for uh for my OBGYN oncology exams and you just have to be vigilant. Um, and so I feel like that, even though it costs, obviously it costs money, it's a good investment in my future, in my future. So absolutely.
4: So, so it's your, also your mom's birthday. You're going to both celebrate tonight. What are you doing?
3: Yeah. I'm going to see her this weekend. She lives a, a state away from me. She did send me a message saying that That my uh, surviving cancer is the best birthday gift she ever had, which I thought was very fantastic. Yeah, she did promise me during that time. She was begging me to do chemotherapy because I was going to go the alternative route. And she told me she would become a vegetarian if I did it. (laughs) I factored that in my decision and she lied. (laughs) She lied. She (laughs) lied. But I'm okay with that. It's still, it was for lying for good cause, I guess. Wow. (laughs) She's a meat eater, that girl. (laughs)
4: <laughs> that's funny. well thank yeah. you so much for being here oh, thank um, you. I'm so i'm so happy for you that's a great thing to celebrate um you know and and you took time off it must have been really tough you know to getting back to that too i know i'm trying to wrap up but i have a yeah. thousand questions um you know did you did you uh, falter coming back
3: when you went decided to go back uh well actually what hit me by surprise was depression uh, no one told oh, me wow. Host, you're doing all this proactive action and then you're done. And I don't know if it was coming off the, the medication, the chemicals, I fell into a, a two or three month depression. And I actually, I, I didn't, I was afraid of it. And I allowed myself to suffer longer than I needed to. And I didn't do, I didn't seek a medication in hindsight, I wish I had, because I think those things need to be managed before they become a slippery slope of no return. So it took me about three months to get back on the horse as I, I called it then. Um, but now I have a much more appreciation for the, the the powerful impact of depression. And in fact, one of the stories I'm writing about in my book, Fearless Female Leaders, as a woman who fearlessly uh, was fearless in the face of depression and I think talking about that and recognizing it, it again is not a stigma. It's not a shame. It is so real, and so many people experience it, including me, yeah. at least twice in my life. Um, and we need help to manage through that, and get the mental health that we need to thrive. You know, so- I had
4: a I had a friend say to me um, last week, and she said, you know, one of her friends, um, you know, had to cancel a trip. Uh, because of depression. And she said, I just don't understand it. I've never had it. I don't understand it. And sorry, my dogs are going a little crazy right now. If you can hear that. Uh, I don't understand it. And, and, you know, I can relate because I do get depression. So I was able to explain it to her, but for those that don't really understand Mm -hmm. it, um, it can be debilitating, Uh, but you can stay on top of it and it's, you know, you can Mm -hmm. stay afloat and you can really manage it. And you know, live a fulfilling yeah. life. Yeah, so,
3: absolutely awesome. Well, thank
4: you so much for being here. I know thank I kept you. wrapping up, I still have a thousand questions, but uh, thank you, Kathy. Where can people find you?
3: You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com forward slash whatever it is, Kathy McAfee. I also have uh, the website thefearlessleader.com and my uh, my other website which is America's marketing a bit longer. <laughs> Um, I'm actually going to shift everything to uh, the Fearless Leader going forward. I'm launching a uh, kicking off a website development program tomorrow project. So, watch. Fantastic. So, new book, new website, and a sharply focused new brand come in 2024. Congratulations. Thank you. I love it.
4: We'll put all the information in your bio. So,
3: thank you for thank being you. here. It's been a thank great you. pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you,
4: thank you for listening to Women's CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests their contact is in the description of the show do you want a total mindset transformation apply to mindset warrior the art of intentional thinking my personal coaching boot camp at iamamindsetwarrior.com and schedule your call with me today thank you
5: so the online fitness coaching program um i utilize an app that delivers the workout so uh, my clients go to the gym or workout at home, and they um, do the workouts in that way. the on The real online aspect is the coaching. So I am a coach at heart. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why the transition to business coaching went from okay, I'm gonna help you lose inches off your waist to let's grow a business and establish some 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 wealth in your life. Um, it was an easy transition. And I I love both.
4: Hi, and welcome to Women's CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host Neil Haley. Today's guest is Stephanie Julia. She's a business coach for online fitness coaches and the founder of both Catch Flights and Fitness and Profitable Passion and Purpose, or P3. Through P3, she offers aspiring and existing fitness coaches a clear path to success through one-on-one and group coaching experiences. Her expertise is guiding them to scale their energy and make more money without spending more time on their business. Thank you and welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you for having me here. All right. Well, first of all, I love your businesses and I i actually you know, I went to your Facebook Catch Flights and Fitness and you're like, you know, in a swimsuit on an island, like who doesn't want to work with you when they see that? So tell me a little bit about
5: both, you know, Catch Flights and Fitness and P3. Okay, so I have to admit, Catch Flights and Fitness did not start off that way. <laughs> <laughs> it actually start how I started as a fitness coach, I would, it was through Inner Phoenix Fitness. It was all about bringing the That inner strength, the inner athlete, I always feel like there's, uh, everybody has an athletic mindset and pulling it out in order to really get after your fitness goals. Um, So that's, that was the initial breach for fitness coaching. Um, But then, you know, everybody tells you to niche down. And I was like, well, if I niche down, I'm going to do something fun, exciting, different, and I'm an avid traveler. I have traveled um somewhere <laughs> every month for the past six years. And so when I started thinking of, okay, I want to create a uh, online fitness coaching program. What do I want it? how do I want it to be different? Um, I created cash flights and fitness. and immediately, when I started ideating over it, it was so exciting. So if, I, I really appreciate your. A review of like my branding and imagery that I created because that's exactly what I want people to feel when they come into my energy is that excitement and enthusiasm so that we uh, bring that energy into wherever we're trying to go.
4: That's so great. So, do you actually bring people to locations or you said it's online? So, how
5: how does that work if somebody wants to join one of your classes? So the online fitness coaching program, um, I utilize an app that delivers the workout. So uh, my clients go to the gym or work out at home and they um, do the workouts in that way. The on, the real online aspect is the coaching. So I am a coach at heart. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why the transition to business coaching went from, okay, I'm going to help you lose inches off your waist. To let's grow business and establish some 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 wealth in your life. Um, it was an easy transition, and I I love both uh, both goals really fitness and business goals. Um, but when it came to cash flights and fitness, and like how to how they really um, got after their goals, yes, workouts, meal plan, guys, coaching them on that. I those deliverables are in there, but it is my belief that. Your physical transformation is just a, or I'm sorry, your physical weight is just a manifestation of your emotional weight. So we've really tackled the emotional body and uh, losing that, that stress, the, the trauma healing, all of that um, in order to really get after your fitness goals. Because uh, most people, if you have a fitness goal and you're not really consistent or motivated, there's usually something else going on in your life that's causing stress so that's how that's that's how the virtual aspect was set up but catch flights and fitness can't be catch flights and fitness without a trip or two so we uh, at the end of the coaching program my clients go to what I affectionately call a retreat but really it's a retreat of their mind and um, if you were to look at it it looks like a luxury luxury vacation getaway um matter of fact we have a retreat it's called the finish line retreat we have a retreat coming up in november where they're going to the secrets the vine and, and um they have a luxury resort uh, stay and then on that saturday we get on a yacht of uh, um, photographers taking pictures of them so they can reveal their transformation both inside and out and it's really beautiful that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, I,
4: <laughs> I got images of that song. I'm on a boat, right? <laughs> it is I bet you they sing that stable. all the time, right? <laughs> yes, it's a staple
5: on the yacht. We have to have multiple boat, uh, boat songs playing. That's great.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so you help, you help um, your business coach for online or online and or fitness coaches. Where do you think? Um, fitness coaches fail the most that they need the most help on when they're running their businesses?
5: Marketing their offers, packaging their offers. Sometimes I hear that we're putting it together in a way that they feel confident in selling it. But at the end of the day, uh, social media or in-person events is where uh, most people are selling their offers these days, right? Um, but what I see is most fitness coaches that come into my energy, they're not really sure how to go past like the, the, um, what do you call them? Like the viral videos, like just trying to push viral. They're not sure how to convert them. And one of my favorite things to do, and it's so funny because this conversation is right on point is add excitement into their marketing. Um, I do that with paid fitness challenges. So imagine, like, you come into, like, a short stint of a fitness experience, and um, you come in, pay a nominal fee to just be a part of it, and the prize is something crazy and insane, like, incredible, that's a, uh, like, one of my clients um, gave away a four-day luxury cruise. And so I showed wow. us- creative and get those sponsorship opportunities so they can create that excitement because nowadays it feels like fitness is now like you're getting after your fitness goals is just another stressor in your life, right? Like it's not fun. It's not, no one wants to do it. So as a fitness coach, trying to get your clients to actually do the work is um is is one hard part, but then you also have to mark it's just juggling a lot of different things. So what I do is I take a lot of that off their table. So all they have to do is just deliver their their passion, their purpose, and coach their clients to their goals.
4: So you do the hardest part of of any business, which is the marketing (laughs) and the selling. So who does that for you? What's your
5: support system look like? Oh, I have no problem hiring team members. So... (laughs) don't necessarily do it for them I show them how to follow a blueprint so they know how to do it and then I teach them how to build teams so that they're not always having to do it no one wants to to do it all day there are things in my business that I absolutely you know will outsource uh forever I don't care if I'm a solo entrepreneur one day um that's those things are always going to be outsourced so I have a team I have a social media manager, I have an online business manager, I have co-coaches, and um, we split, I I don't know why this term is coming to me, but it's like split the baby, but it's really our strengths. So we rest in our strengths, what we're really good at, what we enjoy, Um, and for me, even though I can write content for myself all day, every day, it was one of the most tedious tasks Uh, it was the it was the thing that I spent the most time on like I could spend a half a day writing content for the week um, but at half a day I could be spending it coaching my clients or um, coaching in a offer setting that might be like a free offer like my Facebook group
4: so how do you how did you because content right Especially when you're when you have your own business, it's so important that it has to resonate with you. Like it has to feel like you. It has to sound like you. It has to be you, right? Mm-hmm. How did you let go of that? a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs have a hard time letting go of that because it's not their voice. It's not exactly them. How did you find someone to portray you or present
5: as you um, that you can trust? Not easily. Um, I had someone I had help with my content for over a year and a half uh, but the most recent help is one I don't really see myself walking away from <laughs> um and so the journey really looked like in the beginning I was I was getting guidance on how to um how to speak my message in my content so no one was doing it for me I was learning how to do it for myself Um, And that's the level of, of expertise that I teach. Like, I just show you how to do it for yourself. But then as I needed more time, I joined a, it was a membership program that my social media manager actually is the owner of. And she gave us like templates. So then it sped up the process a little bit more. Um, where all I had to do was sit down, look at this template and, and edit it as much as possible to speak to my ideal client and my, um, my, uh, their, my ideal client and their struggles and desires, right, their pain points and desires. Um, to the point where I, I was still in that membership when P3 launched. So even though her content was focused on health and fitness, I used that template and just geared it to my ideal client, their challenges, and their desires. The reason why I was so confident about that was because I had learned how to write it myself. She was just helping me speed up the process. So then when I hired her as a social media manager, it was an easy transition. One, because I'd known her for a good little while. So she knew how I thought. She knew how I always say this. And it cracks me up every time I see him in my content (laughs) because she she's mimicking my voice. But I review everything. So I'm not familiar with all the other social media managers out there. There are quite a few of them. But I would encourage um, encourage you if you have the capacity and if it's in the beginning, definitely make space for the capacity to review everything that they post from the video to the the uh, captions, that first month was a little rocky. It was just like, I would never say that. I don't know where you got that from. (laughs) But she was open to the criticism. She actually begged me for it when I said, no, this is good. And she was like, ah, Stephanie, look at it again. And then I'd look at it again and be like, yeah, you're right. Can you edit this? And so I heavily edit a lot of things. And I still do every week. I review the content. So it, it, That's it, great.
4: So it, it, it's still your voice.
5: Yeah. It's still your voice. Much. Much. Mm-hmm. I make sure of that. So
4: how how um did what did this business grow through COVID
5: or was it was it before COVID? And like what's
4: changed since then for you?
5: COVID was a big part of the process, but not really for my business growth. Um, it was, it gave me space to understand where I wanted to be. I was working full time at the time, but I had no work. I worked for the government. So it wasn't like it, I wasn't one of the folks that their position was released. You know, I, we kept, we were, we kept working, quote unquote, but I will admit I was going on hikes. (laughs) I was, (laughs) I was the opposite side of COVID. Like I was like, no, I don't want to go back to the real world. And when it did, uh, when I did have to go back, I ended up getting promoted right after COVID. And that was when I I realized how burnt out I was from my job. So it was like I had the relief and then I had to basically put myself back inside and I physically and mentally could not do it. And about two years, well, two and a half years post COVID, I can't even believe I made it that long, honestly, But two and a half years post-COVID, I left my job because I just couldn't do it anymore. I wasn't, it was another service-based uh um job. And I do believe like if you're in a service-based position, you gotta be able to to do that service. And I really could not. So COVID wasn't really a business growth. It it was more the career that died with. Did you
4: um did you plan when you left? Did you leave knowing you were gonna start your own business at that point or and did you know what it was?
5: Yes. So I, I actually just left uh, my career in January of this year. So January 2023 is when I left. Um, I had my fitness coaching business for about nine years now. Um, when COVID hit, it was around five years, but it was always on the online space. So COVID didn't really zhuzh anything up for me. I was always online because of the job that I had. It didn't allow me to do any in-person training, or I remember doing boot camps every once in a while, but it wasn't. It's nowhere near at the capacity or at the the level that Catch Flights and Fitness is. In.
4: That's great. Well, I I love the concept of both, um, I, and I think online definitely the you know COVID now. People never thought of doing online fitness, right? You probably had minimal um, I guess, I guess there was there was minimal competition. There's probably a lot more competition now, um, you know, once COVID hit. Um, but my favorite part is the catch flights and fitness. <laughs> I just think that's fabulous. You totally incorporated what you love to do. Mm-hmm. Like travel and work. I mean, that's that's great. So kudos to that. I, love uh, I was going
0: to add something when I listened to this is the biggest part of this is she's putting something in to give them a want. In her marketing strategies, it's always about something that people could not get. They want that attracts them to that customer. When you talked about you know that giveaway or something that really wows people. We're forgetting about that now. Everyone says, well, it has to be involved related to the stuff. No, it's what they want now, right? It's what we are attracted to, what we want to get us to hook us into something else, right?
5: Yes, I absolutely love that. That was, I actually created Cast Fights and Fitness for me. So everything that was uh, like, it was, it's the program. This is what I told myself. I wanted to create a program that I would pay $5,000 for for the transformation that I had previously. And I created a program based off of that value mark. Um, I I never charged $5,000. I probably could have definitely spent with that retreat, but um, I wanted it to be valued at that. And that's why I feel like it, what you just said is right on point. I wanted to have that strong desire that I would handle hand over my hard-earned money without thinking twice.
0: Right. that's great that's the thing we have to do with anything like I was starting to think about what emails am I opening up on a regular basis and I'm not mentioning what I'm email I'm opening up but it's every time I want to read that email that means and there's something exciting that's gonna make me want to go back to that channel to go back to that stuff if whatever we do in marketing it has to be something that's so amazing that you're like wow I'm gonna do this and we're forgetting about those things we say, oh yeah, we got to give an add-on that involves fitness. No, there's this additional thing that gets people in, and then they see how great it is, and they're like, "I'm, I'm, I'm in." That's the way we have to start thinking about marketing is is going to those things that it's there's a one there's a want, or I need to have this, so I'm going to get it's going to get me to that place. Think about the giveaways in baseball and football games, right? Where oh yeah, that's today's bobblehead day, right? that you're going to get a bigger crowd for a baseball game than you would if that wasn't there. So that's another example. Yeah. But. And
4: everyone, everyone loves travel. Everyone loves travel. Everyone wants a free trip. I mean, who doesn't, right? Um, so I do. Like, like, I always, I love to travel. I, I mostly do road trips because of, you know, since COVID, you know, I always wanted to, you know, I've traveled overseas, uh, but lately it's just a lot of road trips because it's loved. I love to explore and meet people and do all of that. So, great job! I love what you're doing. Best of luck to you. Any parting words to the audience of anyone who maybe might be wanting to start a business similar to yours?
5: Oh, um, I if if you are open to it, I could share with them a blueprint I created um, that literally takes them step by step of what I did to launch Catch Flights and Fitness and the concepts that I I. Uh, I guess I thought about or or worked through in order to come up with a program like this. Um, I have it listed at growyouronlinefitbiz.com slash podcast.